We turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Galatians chapter 5. We continue to make our way through the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Begin reading at verse 13 and we will read through verse 26 this morning. Our text, however, is verses 16, 17, and 18. Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. May God add His blessing to not only its reading, but its proclamation. Let's bow this morning in prayer. Lord, again we come to Thee, thankful for this day that Thou hast set aside, Lord, that we may come into Thy house and worship. And we may open your word and see this word on print that applies to our lives. We pray that we can apply this to our lives and live our lives as head in these passages. We pray that thou be with Pastor Bob to give him the words to say through thy Holy Spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We'll look at uh, the passage that I indicated, 16 through 18, this morning under three main headings. One... The desires of the flesh, what is that? What, what does Paul mean when he talks about the desires of the flesh? Secondly, Paul obviously is describing a struggle that exists. And so, secondly, it's the conflict that continues. And thirdly, the, the fact that where this passage eventually comes around to is the understanding that there is an assurance of the fact of struggle, that if we are engaged in this struggle, it's actually a good thing. It's a blessing. It's a joy. 
to be a part of that struggle because that means that we can have assurance in the midst of the struggle as well. First of all then, what do we understand by the desires of the flesh? Paul says we are to walk by the Spirit, and if we walk by that Spirit, then we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, one simple way of saying it would be this. The flesh is our sinful nature. It is that nature with which we are conceived. When David writes in the psalm that I am, was conceived and born in sin, it is that original sin that we have in and through Adam, that through Adam sin entered the world, as Paul writes in the book of Romans. So we are reminded here that, that we carry this sinful nature. And one way in which Paul describes, or the New Testament describes, this sinful nature is by using the term flesh. Now, let, let's look at some other ways in which it was defined for us. If you go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, for example, Ephesians chapter 2, Read the first three verses here. You were dead in your trespasses in sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here's another way in which it's described. Flesh, as Paul talks about the desires of the flesh here in Galatians 5. We can think about it as the sinful nature. We can think about it as Paul defines it here. The passions of our flesh. The desires of the body and of the mind. The Apostle John gave us a slightly different way of, of looking at it or defining it. If you turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we could say, what is, what is the, the desire of the flesh? It's the love of the world. It's the love of the things in the world. John goes on to describe that. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, there comes that terminology again, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So once again, you have that idea. This is, this is that which comes out of our sinful nature. It is... It is those things, those sinful things of life that are part of our life that we are conceived, that we are born with, that we have inherited from Adam, that are continuing in our hearts and in our lives. The flesh, though, we must understand, is not just the body. Here is the mistake that has been made oftentimes within the Christian church and by various Christian groups, even up to today. That when the word flesh is used here in Galatians, they think of it as literal, as 
if it applies only to that flesh, this skin, body. But I think as you, as you heard the passage from Ephesians and as you hear the passage uh, that we read from 1 John, it's bigger than that because it, it deals not just with our bodies, it deals with our minds, it deals with our hearts, it deals with our passions. It's not just body. See, there, there is a group that, that as uh, Paul is dealing here with Galatians, with, with these Judaizers, with these legalists on one side, that there's another cult that is beginning to emerge that's called the Gnostics. These Gnostics are, are people who believe that everything associated with the body is evil. Everything. Eating is an evil thing. Drinking water is an evil thing. Everything about the body is evil. See, they're giving the idea that flesh equals body. Physical body. And so they said, no, the, the realm of, of the mind is the only realm in which we talk about salvation. You can't save a body. Uh, a body is, is just too awful. That's why it dies. That's why it decays. It's horrible. It's a horrible thing to have a body. The only thing good in man is his soul. Now that's an error. That's a heresy. It's a falsehood. It's not what Paul means here, it's not what Scripture means. But that idea, that Gnostic idea, got carried out within the church. There are, there are elements within the church that over the course of time continued to bear this out. So by the time you get to the Middle Ages, you, you have people doing all sorts of incredible things against their bodies to drive out sin because sin has to do with the flesh. So you get people who lie on beds of nails. You, you get Stimons, Simon Stylitis, who, who lives, I believe it is, for some 30 years up upon a pole. Okay, You get the idea of the hermits who, who go into the mountains and in the caves disassociating themselves. That's the, where the whole idea of, of monasteries and monks came from, that we're going to disassociate ourselves as far as much as we humanly can to have nothing to do with this world because that's all going to affect my body and that's going to be sin. As I say, there are still some groups today, although I don't think it, it's necessarily in the same realm, that, that they do it today as well, thinking that, that everything associated with the body is sin. So they can never enjoy a good meal because that would be sinful. They can never enjoy relationship between a husband and wife because that would be sin. That's horrible. Any enjoyment we can get from life is a bad thing. That is not what Paul is saying. That is not what is meant here by flesh. Perhaps the best way to define it is to simply look further into the text. And, and Luther 
points this out in, in his commentary. I'm going to quote from Luther a few minutes from now. But he points out in his commentary is if they had any sense, because you see in Luther's day, this is still going on. Luther was a, was a monk. I mean, he tried all this stuff to deal with his sin, his flesh. And, and, and he comes to the point that it doesn't work. And, and Luther says, if they only read the text a little further, they would have figured out that it's far more than the body. Oh, does it include some things about the body? Absolutely. Listen to the list. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. But you see, it also includes idolatry. It also includes sorcery. It also includes enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. See, it goes far beyond just the physical body. It goes to our minds. It goes to our emotions. It goes to our hearts. It goes to everything in regards to our lives that has been totally and completely affected by sin. So when we come back to the text and it says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Hopefully we have a little understanding now what Paul means. What, what, what's he talking about when he talks about those desires? Those things that we are born with that we do not curb. Those things we are born with, those desires, those passions we have that, that just express themselves in a variety of ways, unchecked, unhindered, unabated. We just let loose life. Paul says, that is what we are not to gratify. We are not to feed it. We, we, are, we are not to, as it were, stoke the coals of. We're not to give in to it, but, but we're not to feed it either. We're not to engage in the actual acts, but nor are we to, to sort of build up the fire to the point where we, 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 we almost are forced because of the heat to become involved in these things. The desires of the flesh. Now, Paul says, note, verse 17, that these desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desire of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. This is, this is the existence of the Christian. This is the conflict that continues. It is not, you see... That when we become born again, we become perfect. There is still a conflict. The conflict is a good thing. Why? Because it's a conflict between the flesh and the spirit. The fact that this conflict exists within the Christian, within the believer. See, Paul's not talking about the unbeliever. He's talking about the believer. 
to the believer, there is this ongoing conflict. There is this struggle that exists. Between what? Between that sinful nature, the flesh, and the spirit who we have been given by grace in Christ. Now, let's go to the book of Romans and note okay, that, that this is not unique. This is not the only place where, where this comes up. So let's go to Romans chapter 7 so that you see that th this, this is a biblical principle. Romans chapter 7, I'm going to read a rather long section. I'm going to start at verse 14. Same author, Paul, expanding, you could say, this section, you could say, is the commentary on the one verse of Galatians 5. So, what does Paul mean by verse 17? Listen. For we do... For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that, that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. My sinful nature. Nothing good dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body? Of death. Go to Romans 8. I'll begin at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot 
please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There's a conflict. It's obvious that Paul personally, he's not just writing this theologically. Oh, by the way, on a theological point, yes, there's a conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Just know that. No, Paul in Romans 7 is dealing with this conflict. This is an internal struggle. This is, this is not Paul looking back to when he was the Pharisee persecuting the church. You say, how do you know that? Because Paul did not have the spirit then. Paul had no qualms about what he was doing then. He was following his passions. He was following his fits of rage. See, Paul is writing Romans 7 from the perspective that he has been born again. He has seen Christ. He has given his life to Christ. Oh, wretched man that I am, because I deal with this sinful nature that is in conflict with the Spirit. In my heart, in my mind, I desire to do that which is right. But the sinful nature continues to press itself upon me. So the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that is the very thing that I do. Take your Trinity hymnal, turn page 856, 856. In our Westminster Confession of Faith, listen to how this conflict comes out in that 13th chapter. It's the top of page 856, chapter 13 of Sanctification. They, who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified. And they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. There's a war going on. A war within each one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ. I told you I, I was going to reference Luther on this point. Listen to him 
to this, to know this is very profitable for the godly. When I was a monk, I used to think I was utterly cast away if at any time I felt the lust of the flesh. That is, if I felt any envy, wrath, hatred to my brother, or any fleshly lust. If I had known but the truth, set out in this place by Paul, I should not have so miserably tormented myself, but should have reasoned thus with myself. Martin, thou art not without sin, for thou hast flesh. Thou shalt therefore feel the battle thereof. According to that saying, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. This is the battle of Luther. This is the battle of every single believer in Jesus Christ. It's the flesh versus the spirit. Or we could say, it's our sinful nature versus Christ indwelling. The fact that Christ now dwells within us by his Holy Spirit. The New Testament is filled with references to the fact that this is what Christ does. He comes to us. He is in us. The presence of Christ wars against that sinful nature. Paul had written about that earlier in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, 20. Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hear that language? It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Why is there a war going on? Why is there this conflict within us as believers? Because Christ is present. This is the conflict. The presence of Christ. Versus that sinful nature. In which I was born and conceived. Or we could term the. The struggle as we do in other places in scriptures, it's the old man versus the new man. It's the, it's the old creation versus the new creation. The struggle. It's never that the old man is done with until the day of our death. That old man is there. I think I have mentioned to you before the fact that, that one of the things that, that often happens as I, as I visit elderly folks, especially as it, it, the, their, their death seems to be um, pretty intimate, is the fact that, that they become even more and more aware of this struggle. You, you know, sometimes you're sitting on the other side going, what possible sin could you be committing right now? But until that moment of their death, there is still that struggle. They know they're a sinner. Saved only by grace. 
that they never reach that state of perfection here upon earth, that they are never totally finished with the old man. But that old man continues and he continues and he continues. So you say, and this is good? Yes, this is good. You say, why, why do you say that this is good? Because you see, the sinner simply follows their passion. The sinner simply does whatever they want to do. Oh, they may be somewhat held in check by the state. You know, they just as soon murder their neighbor. But there's a law against it. But boy, in their heart, they've already got them dead. Think about the incidences of our community just in the past week. Some of you live not that far away from, from the incident that occurred. Uh, yeah, but there's a law. I'd better not do that. No, but you thought it. What does Christ say? He who says to his brother, you're fool, is guilty of murder. He who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, we may not engage in a certain action because there are too great a consequences, but it's here in the heart, it's here in the mind. That sinful nature is still there. The sinner is only operating because there may be a law against it, or there might be some cultural norms, or there might be some family consequences. They're not being held in check in any way, shape, or form because of the presence of the Spirit. The fact that you and I are, that when those thoughts arise, we go, no, I cannot think such things. This is sin. This is against what God would have me do. This is against what the Spirit would have me do. I lost my temper. I should not have done that. That is sin. It's wrong. I know that's not the way that the Spirit would have me. Gentle Spirit, lead me, guide me. See, for you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, it's the Spirit that is waging war against that sinful nature. That's a good thing. It means the Spirit dwells in you. And you see, the Spirit doesn't dwell in anyone but believers. The Spirit does not dwell in the heart of an unbeliever. That doesn't exist. The Holy Spirit cannot take up residence in an unbeliever. It is, only a, it is only in that, that glorious conversion, that glorious being born again, that God sends His Holy Spirit upon us to dwell within us. It causes us to see sin for what it is. It's sin. 
It's not a violation of a state law. It's not a violation of some cultural norm. Or it's not something that my family's going to get me, I'm going to be in trouble with my family. It's sin. And I recognize it as sin. And you see it as sin. You know it's sin. Only the Holy Spirit of God living within you. Only Christ by that Spirit can get you to see such. And that, my friends, is a good thing. Because it means you're one of God's. It means you're one of His children. It means that Christ died for you. It means that your sin is paid for. Okay, well, Pastor, I, I think I hear what you're saying, but I, I do a lot of wrong things, and I don't feel any guilt over them. I don't think they're sin. think they're wrong. Might I suggest one of two things? One, your heart, soul, mind need an education. Need to be trained. To learn what sin is. Need to deal with that sin, confront that sin, confess that sin, acknowledge that sin. Ignorance is not an excuse. It's not an excuse. But ignorance is a sign that you need to get to work. And if you say, well, I don't want to get to work, then I think we're at step two. And you have to seriously ask yourself your question, am I a Christian? Am I a believer? If sin does not bother me, if, if, if I can commit sin, if, if I can engage in, 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 in just, and I don't want to be tied down, and I don't want us to be tied down to, to that which Paul writes in verses 19, 20, and 21 as if this is the end-all list because Paul adds, and things like these. So there is more. But just if you look at the list and you say, those things don't bother me. In fact, I make excuses for why those things happen. And maybe we're not just dealing with an uninformed conscience. Maybe we're dealing with the fact that you really aren't a Christian. And that needs to be dealt with first before God. Repent. Turn. Confess Christ. Look to Christ. For everyone, everyone who believes in true faith has been given the Spirit of God. And that Spirit wrestles, fights, wars against that sinful nature. There is an assurance there, you see. The struggle's a good one. 
because it means you haven't laid down and surrendered to the flesh. It means you haven't just given in. It means that spirit is kindling a fire within you that burns. You notice Paul uses the same word, the desires of the spirit. It burns with the same passion to do that which is good and right and holy. That's, that's, you see, the conflict Paul was dealing with. How to do the right. Sinful nature. It's no longer me, it's sin dealing within me. I have a new nature. My new nature is in Christ. But that new nature puts me in a war, in a struggle. The fact that you and I struggle with that sinful nature, with the desires of the flesh, it means Christ is working. Because what happens? It drives us where? To the cross. Over and over. And over again, we come back to Christ. We don't come back to our works of the law. We don't come back to the things we do to try to make up for the wrong we have done. We're, we're done with works of righteousness in that sense. We're, we're done with that legalism. When this old man of sin rises up, when that sinful nature wars against our spirit, what do we do? We flee to Christ. Unbeliever doesn't flee to Christ. The unbeliever flees to a bottle. The unbeliever flees to a needle. The unbeliever flees to the gambling casino. The unbeliever flees to his video games. The unbeliever escapes to his unrealism novels. The unbeliever puts it out of mind. The believer falls on his knees before Christ again and says, You are on your knees confessing your sin, acknowledging your sin before the Lord. That is a good thing. It's not, what's wrong with me? It's this is right of me. This is where I need to be. This is what I must do. And why are you there? Did you come up with that? No. No. Christ himself brings you there. And that is a good thing. You see, it means if we're engaged in the struggle, you can't win the war if you don't fight, right? If you just surrender, you're never going to win. So some of you over the course of the next several days, if you haven't already done so, are going to get your fill of football. 
Imagine tomorrow for some of you. Some of you perhaps have to go back to Thursday night. Others of you can think of tomorrow or the next days that follow. Imagine all the buildup. Okay, we've got, we've got our meal timed around or we've got our hors d'oeuvres timed around when kickoff is and when halftime is and so on. Imagine the time comes and one of the teams flies out of the tunnel all revved to go and the other team never shows up. Where are they? What a disappointment. How, how are you going to win if you don't even get on the field? Oh, we just gave up. We figured the other team was so much better than us. We just, we just didn't even show up. can't win if you aren't on the field. My friend, in our struggle with sin, you can't win if you aren't on the field. But being on the field for you and I is the sign of victory. Being involved in the fight being involved in the conflict is the sign of victory. Let me quote Luther again. And when I exhort you to walk in the Spirit, that ye fill not the lust of the flesh, I do not require of you that you utterly put off the flesh or kill it, but that you should bridle and subdue it. For God will have mankind to endure even to the last day. And this cannot be without parents who shall beget and bring up children. Therefore it must needs be that flesh and its desires must continue. In respect of the flesh then, we are sinners. But in respect of the spirit, we are righteous. Listen to it, listen. Yea. Our righteousness is much more plentiful than our sin because the holiness and righteousness of Christ our mediator doth far exceed the sin of the whole world and the forgiveness of sins which we have through him is so great, so infinite that it is easily swallows up all sin so that we walk according to the Spirit. Who will rescue me, O oh wretched man I am? Thanks be to God. Well, for Jesus Christ, it is He who has already triumphed over my sinful nature. It is He who has already slain it. It is he who has already destroyed it. Being in the battle means we shall wear the victor's crown because Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, has conquered. Amen? Amen. Father, what glorious hope we have in this struggle. What a blessing it is to be in the struggle. Oh, it doesn't feel like it. Lord, we, we, we would desire never to be here. We would desire to live lives of purity, of holiness. We would desire to live a life free and absent from all sin. 
Lord, that would be the desire of our heart. But we know that in this life, there shall always be this conflict. That's not our excuse. It's the reality of your word. And yet in that conflict, we find such assurance and hope. Father, we pray. We pray for your blessing as we seek to live for your glory in the year that you laid before us. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.